The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. With you, uh, as Jared said, uh, my name is Kylam, uh, and this week my beautiful family are able to join us. Uh, normally, when I come up, um, Carly, my wife's serving, or we have other things on, and so they're rarely able to come up. So it's good to have my whole tribe here. You'll see them running around. They're the really, really good Christian ones. Okay. That's, that's mine. If you see a good kid, they look holy. My kid, okay? Uh, we're in a series. So if you're new, uh, both LCC Northlakes and Calandra, we, we kind of share a lot. We kind of do overlapping series. And so we've been in a series called Fearless. And we've been looking at uh, this concept of, I guess, spiritual warfare. And looking at, particularly from Ephesians 6, this idea of the armor of God. And when I came up a few weeks ago, I sort of highlighted that C.S. Lewis in one of his books kind of wants to emphasize um, that we don't want to be one of two ways. There's kind of two errors that you can go when it comes to spiritual warfare. One is what he called superstition, which is an obsessive overbelief. That is, everything is the devil, everything is a demonic attack, everything is just Satan, 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 Satan. And so in that view, there's low-level personal responsibility. So I'm sick, not because I'm eating Maccas every day, but because it's the devil. Uh, We're poor, not because we haven't been stewarding well, but actually because we're just spending our money on things, right? And so it's all the devil. Then the other side is uh, a substition, which is an underbelief, an obsessive underbelief. That is that we're not even aware that Satan exists. He's not really real. God's done everything. We don't have to worry about anything. It's all going to be good. We just be Christians and everything we find. And when you get to the book of the Bible, uh, particularly Ephesians, Ephesians says, listen, um, God is on your side. God has done incredible things. God is, is basically the most incredible being who has died for you, loves you, is for you. He's done all the work on your behalf so that you can just receive his free gift of salvation by grace, and by faith. Yet, there's still an enemy that is active and you need to be aware of him. And you need to resist him and you need to fight against him because he does not like you. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, but Team Devil is not Team Jesus. They're not the same. And so in this, we've been looking at different ways in which we are called by God through this book to resist, to fight. And so in this particular passage, uh, we're really just looking at verse 16, which says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So we've gone through a number of different weapons and bits, pieces of the armor. Uh, Pastor Jimmy's down with us doing um, the sword of the spirit this morning for us. And so looking at the Bible and the word of God. Today we're looking at this idea of the shield of faith. This is a particular piece of armor that God has given to his people. So what I want to do in this particular passage, I actually want to go through it in the reverse order. So I want to look at Satan's flaming darts, then I want to look at God's shield of faith that he gives us, and then I want to look at our circumstances, because it starts with in all circumstances. Is that cool? Everybody with me? Awesome. Look at that. You guys give me more love than my North Lakes church. Okay, number one is Satan's flaming darts. So it says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Who here has ever run through an unexpected spider web? Okay, we all kind of know what that kind of looks like. Kind of, oh, I freak out. Um, I squeal, okay, a little bit of a, <laughs> comes out of me. I get really scared and then my kids just laugh at me because they know I'm so scared of spiders. 
Um, when it comes to the Christian, we shouldn't have the experience of freak out when it comes to the fact that the enemy is attacking us. We know it's coming. We're expecting it. We're not caught unaware. So the way that uh, one verse puts it in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says to the church there at Corinth, he says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So if you're here and you're married, you should expect that Satan doesn't want your marriage to go well, which means you need to fight really hard to have a really great marriage. If you... Uh, are trying to walk by faith and love neighbors and serve the church, you should realize that Satan doesn't want you to come to church. Satan doesn't want you growing in your faith and he's going to attack you. So the Christian should be alert. We shouldn't be outwitted. This evil one is Satan. He's called the liar, the deceiver, the accuser, the opposer, the tempter. But here's also another really important thing for the Christian. Is that while Satan may be powerful... He's also very predictable because unlike God, he's limited. He's not an unlimited being. So unlike God, he is limited in his presence. So Satan cannot be at all places at all times. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at all times. No matter where you are, if you're in the room and you're a Christian, no matter where you are or what you're going through, God is with you because God is the only being that is always Present Satan is also unlike God in the fact that he's limited in his knowledge. Satan does not know all things. He cannot read your mind. Uh, who here prays sometimes just in their mind? That's actually not a bad thing. If all you do is pray in your mind, I would encourage you to pray with your mouth. Like open your mouth and pray. But the fact that we can pray in our mind and God can read our mind, Satan can't do that. Satan can put thoughts in our minds, but he can't read our mind. This is an important distinction. And unlike God, he is limited in power. He cannot do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's predictable because he's limited. So we can know his schemes and we can be prepared to fight according to his never, ever changing strategy. And what is his strategy? Well, it's always the same thing. Satan wants to bring, bring difficulty into your life through suffering, hardship, persecution, trials, and then with those, he wants to then throw little thoughts about what that means about God towards you. So now he's going to turn your difficulty into doubt. And so now you're going to question, does God love me because of A, B, C, and D? Is God really for me? I thought that if I was a Christian, then this would follow. And if you've been a Christian for a little while, you kind of work out that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean everything goes awesome all the time. Man, it'd be good if that was true though, right? <laughs> That'd be awesome. In fact, Jesus says, listen, if you are going to follow me, it's probably going to mean hardships are going to come because you're going to live in the world. You're going to live in this broken, fallen place. And so doubt's going to come. Deception will then come. You will start to formulate lies and disbeliefs and untruths about yourself and God in your mind, which then will lead to discouragement, which will lead to division. So you'll start walking away from God or he'll at least try to divert you and distract you. And as I said last time I was up, you guys live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's so easy to be distracted when you're on the coast because you wake up and it is beautiful every day. We drove up here and we, just, we left this fog of just ugliness and just led into beauty land. You know, all of a sudden, like, I feel like I'm the most attractive I've ever been in my life just from being in Calandra. I'm still the whitest, moliest, freckliest dude ever. 
So the enemy, we know this is what he's trying to do, right? This is what the enemy, if you are a Christian, the enemy is going to try and steal your joy and steal your faith. If you're here and you're not a Christian, the enemy just doesn't want you to believe in God at all. And so this is the flaming darts of the enemy. He is throwing these, shooting these things into our world. Number two, but God gives us a shield of faith. And if you've been with us for a little while, the armor of God is not our armor. It is God's armor that he gives to his people. That's really important because if you think that you have to fight on your own, you will sometimes quit because you will think you can't do it. The truth is we can't do it. That's why God tells us to fight in the strength of his might and he gives us his armor to fight with. So he gives us this shield of faith. So a defense against these flaming darts of the enemy is faith. So I want to look at four things as to what faith is and then how does it work. Faith in the Bible is a way of receiving. Okay, uh, We had Mother's Day a few, few weeks ago, right? Any mums here had a good, had a good day? Okay, there's a few that, a couple of you guys got up your game next year. Okay, there's a few like, oh, it wasn't that great. Next year better be better. Um, Mother's Days, birthdays, Christmases, we give and exchange gifts. So for, for my wife, the kids kind of got a whole lot of stuff. They buy these $2 presents and they're really awesome. And then they come and they give them to Carly. But Carly must receive them. She has to put her hand out, grab it, hold it, take it. That's what the Bible says faith is. Faith is God has given you forgiveness. He's done the work already. You don't have to do anything to earn your way up to be approved by God, to be loved by God, to be forgiven by God. That is freely on offer to you. But you must receive it. That is what the Bible says that faith is. So Hebrews 11 uh, talks heaps and heaps and heaps about faith. Uh, And it's all this way of believing and trusting and experiencing. So the Bible says that we don't work up faith. We work out faith. Philippians 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to do. We work it out. It's given to us. We work it. The shield of faith is given to you. Receive it. Number two, faith is not just a way of receiving. Faith is a way of seeing. So back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Notice here that there is faith and hope. Two different things, but connected things. Okay, the, Bible, the Bible uses words really, really uh, intentionally. So here, faith and hope, while connected, are spoken of as being distinct. They're not the same thing. So R.C. Sproul says that hope is faith looking forward. If my hope is based in something God has said will happen in the future, the hope I have for the future promise finds its substance from my trust and confidence in the one making the promise. I have hope because I have faith in God. So faith is a way of seeing. When you read the Bible... You never see the Bible ever affirm blind faith. Okay? A lot of people think that faith is just taking this blind leap in the dark and just hoping this thing's right. This is like, eyes shut, ah, going to go. That's not actually how the Bible presents faith. The Bible always presents faith in reality. It's always in something that is true and real. 
So you and I, we cannot see tomorrow. So last night I went to bed. Two of my favorite teams are playing their, their sports. So I had basketball was on at 1 a.m. this morning. My favorite team, Miami Heat, were playing. Uh, Arsenal, my favorite football team in England, were playing at 4 a.m. I have no idea last night whether any of those are going to win. But I sure hope they do. I cannot see the future. I do not know what is coming today, this morning. However, if God had told me that Miami Heat win and Arsenal win, then I would worship him so much more. So we'll have that conversation later on tonight when I get home, right? There's a sense in you don't know what's coming tomorrow. Faith is not in you knowing the future. Faith is you putting your hope in the one who does and controls it and speaks and says what will happen. So it's not this blind faith. It's, it's faith is this conviction in God's reputation. He is the one who is infallible. He is the one who knows all things and cannot lie. And if God says something will happen, it will happen. There's this great story in 2 Kings. A prophet by the name of Elisha is kind of in this town called Dotham, or as I like to call it, Gotham. And him and his servant are basically um, being looked upon, uh, they're kind of in this valley and they're in their tent and they're surrounded by the Syrian army. And there, they've woken up in the morning, his servant comes out and he kind of, you know, gets his coffee in the morning, he kind of, you know, stretching, he relaxes and he looks up and he just sees that they're completely surrounded. And he freaks and he spills his coffee, he runs back in, he says, Elisha, Elisha, we, we are done for. We are completely and utterly surrounded. We're done. And Elisha says, God, open up his eyes. Let him see reality. Sends his servant back out. His servant then sees all the Syrian army and then he looks up and sees all the angelic army. And all of a sudden he starts pouring himself another coffee and he's like, let's go, let's roll. Because all of a sudden he could see something that he could not see before. God opened up his eyes to see that the whole hosts of heaven were for them and with them and it gave him courage. Then Elisha prays, God, blind their eyes. Syrian army comes down. As they come down, God blinds their eyes. They cannot even attack. And then literally Elisha just walks them back to their city and hands them back over. Faith is a way of seeing. The Bible constantly says that we do not live by sight, but we walk by faith. And faith doesn't just see the battle that is ahead. Faith sees not only the flaming darts of the enemy that streams towards us, but faith sees Christ. Faith sees God is with us and for us and protecting us. And he is our shield. Faith is a way of receiving Faith is a way of seeing. Faith is a way of living. The Bible states over and over and over again, all the way from the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, basically all the way through, that the righteous shall live by faith. So now that we have received and now that we see, we start to walk and we start to live in a way which is different. We don't walk the way we once walked. We walk in a new way. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, 
I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. In other words, the way that I live out this Christian walk, this Christian faith, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now let me give you a bit of backstory to that particular verse. But eight years ago, I received a phone call at some crazy hour in the morning from my mum. And she was calling me in a panic because my father had had a stroke. And she didn't know what to do. She called the ambulance. So drove over to mum's house. Dad gets in the ambulance. We go to the hospital. Dad then has more strokes while he's at the hospital. I don't know if you've ever been around someone. It's very, very traumatic to watch. And dad completely lost his speech function. Didn't lose any sort of uh, working parts of his body, but his speech function, so he could not talk. And so day after day, we would go to the hospital and we'd see him, pick up mum in the morning, go to the hospital, drive mum home. We just do that day after day after day. And the hardest thing for my mum was the fact that she couldn't just talk to dad. Like if dad had lost the side of his arm, but she could talk to him, she could have heard how he was feeling or how he was going. And we just, we didn't know what to do. So we came up with a few verses and we just said, we're just going to read these every single day because we're going to live by faith. Then one day, I quoted this verse to my dad and I read it to him and my dad started to cry because whilst my dad couldn't talk, we didn't realize he could actually hear and understand. And just the Bible, the word of God started to do something in my father where emotionally we could see him. He was alive. He was there. He was present. And so we got the ESV Video Bible, and we just played that every day after, you know. And then he's done speech therapy, and my dad's a heck of a lot better, doing really, really well. We live by faith. We had no idea of what that circumstance would, would look like. We don't know whether dad's going to get well or dad's not going to get well, but here's what we did know we knew God. And we were with God and God was with us and we live by faith in the one who loves us and gave his son for us. So we don't know why did that happen to my father. We don't know the answer to that question. We know what the answer can't be. It can't be because he doesn't love us. Suffering and trials and difficulties can't be because God doesn't love the Christian. That's already been dealt with on the cross 2,000 years ago. There's another reason. We may not know that reason, but we know what the answer can't be. It can't be that God doesn't love us. Christian. I don't know what you're going through. Live by faith. Live by faith. And when you struggle to believe, pray the prayer that the guy in Mark 9 prayed, where he says to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. You've given me a shield of faith. Help me lift it. Help me hold it. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. We have a hope because we have faith in Jesus that he is our God. You can know him. You can walk with him. You can have a personal relationship, a vibrant relationship with God where whilst no matter what your circumstances are, that you can actually lift your head and you can be strong. Not because you're strong, but because he is and your faith is in him. Faith is a way... Of receiving faith is a way of seeing, faith is a way of living, but faith is also a way of fighting. For those of you who've been Christians for a while, you know the famous verse from Second Timothy where Paul is writing to his young protege and near the end of his life, and he says, I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If you want to know what it's like to hold on to Jesus through difficult times, read the story of Paul. Often we think of Paul as this like giant, this amazing man of God. This guy went through difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. And at the end of his life, he's like, man, I've still got Jesus. Literally at the end of this book, he's like, listen, bring my coat, bring a few of the books. That's all I've got. I got Jesus. Fight. Fight for your faith. Fight for your relationship with God. First Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour him. Resist him firm in your faith. That's how we fight. That's how we fight the enemy. Is we say, no, 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 this is the truth. No, 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 this is what I believe. No, 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 that's not true about God. This is true and I'm standing in that truth. God's real. I can't see him. I know he's real. God loves me. I don't feel it, but I know it's true. This is how we fight. And one of the things I love about this particular piece of armor, I've got a couple of slides for you. But when you think about a shield, often in warfare, uh, the Roman shield was very, very different at, at that point in time in ancient warfare. They had designed this whole new way of doing warfare. And so what they would do is they would literally soak this wooden door, which is about nearly you know, six feet high, essentially, two and a half feet wide. They would soak it in water. Why? Because they know that once they are coming up against those gates, the fiery arrows, the fiery darts are going to come. They're going to be spilt with oil and lit on fire. They're not going to be able to get onto the wood of their door and it's not going to be consumed. That thing's going to hit. It's going to fall down to the ground. So they would hold these shields to cover their whole body. So when Paul's talking about a shield, he's not talking about just this little circle shield. He's talking about one of these massive doors that sits over your whole body, your face, and then you would know, some, some of you get into warfare stuff, they, if you go to the next slide, this shield would then be used in a tetsudo formation. Meaning that when Paul's talking about the shield of faith, he's not thinking about you as an individual picking up your shield and fighting. What he's thinking about is the fact that we are all putting our shields together. Some of us are putting them in front, some of us are putting on top, and we're doing this thing together. So often one of the ways the enemy wants to attack us is to sideline the Christian, to isolate the Christian, to get you over here. So maybe you've had this thought yourself or maybe you know people who have this thought, but I've heard it many, many times that you don't have to go to a church to be a Christian. I'm like, true. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. But if you want to be handpicked off by the enemy, stay away from the church. Because now you are isolated and on your own with no help. This is why life groups are absolutely crucial to the Christian life. Doing faith together is so important. Just a couple of weeks ago in our life group, uh, one of the ladies who was leading it that night just asked everybody to go around a room and just tell one story from that week of the goodness of God. One person tells their story. Next person tells their story. Next person tells their story. By the time we get around like 14 of us, Every single of us walk out the door going, God is good. Not because of my story, but because I've heard Javen's story, Jared's story. Right? You hear each other's stories and all of a sudden their faith journey and what they've been through and how they've seen God come through does something in your spirit and in your heart that goes, man, God is good. So don't, don't even downplay being here this morning. 
And not just hearing this, but seeing each other and go, well, they're at church and they're at church and they're at life group and they're serving and they're contributing. And all of a sudden, your faith journey equips and helps others. It's how we fight. So I've written here that your faith may be personal, but it should not be private. Faith is a community thing. This is what we do together. And when you are down, we're down with you. And when you're up, we're up with you. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. When you're in need, we're there. When we're in need, you're there. This is how it works. And it's beautiful. And I can tell you, we've been doing this church thing for a little while now. We've seen this more and more, time and time again, of the church. When someone's down, it's just picking them up and saying, hey, here's my shield. Let me put it over you and around you for a while. And then all of a sudden, that person over time goes, all right, I'm ready to pick up my shield and let me now put it over somebody else. This is why the church is awesome. So we resist Satan through taking up this shield of faith. We resist him firm, turning to God. And we do this in all sorts of circumstances. So this passage started out and said, in all circumstances. Why does he say in all? It's because we're probably going to need it, right? Even when things are going well, we need the shield of faith. Because here's the thing. When things are going well, we forget God. When things are going bad, we doubt God. So, life's going well, praying heaps, going good. All of a sudden we get self-sufficient. It's like, ah, oh, I don't need to pray to God about the kids. Remember? They're holy. They're all righteous. They're all the good Christian kids, right? Uh, marriage is going well. It's fine. Life's going well. Health's going well. Don't pray. Right? When life gets bad, what do we do? Pray. All of a sudden, prayer went up. COVID, great example of this. We had more people attending our online prayer time during the first sort of maybe three months of COVID than any other time. As soon as the government came through with their their payment scheme, a bunch of our people stopped coming to prayer. Why? Because now they had money. They didn't need God. So we we need the shield of faith even when things are going well. When we've got the job, when family is good, when work is good, when study is good, when things are good, we still need faith in God to be reminded that this is because God is good. And then when things go bad, we also need the shield of faith. So let me finish with just a few stories from the Bible of people in different circumstances and how they applied their faith. And I want to encourage you to maybe consider wherever you are today. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And the way that you kind of apply your faith today is just taking that first step and going, you know what, I want to start following Jesus because I believe he is good. Maybe some of you, it's difficult circumstances or maybe it's you're waiting on God for something. So let me give you a few. Ruth the Moabite. If you've read an Old Testament book, the book of Ruth is an awesome book. It's short. It's only a few chapters. It's, it's, a, it's a read you can do in, in 10 minutes. But it's this incredible story of this, this, this woman of God. So essentially, Elimelech marries Naomi. They have two boys. There's this famine that's in the land. And so they're, they're from this place called Bethlehem, which actually means house of bread. So they're supposed to trust God for bread. They don't do that. Elimelech takes his family and they go over to Moab. They get to Moab. As all famines do, they spread. So over time, famine hits Moab. Elimelech dies. The two boys die. And so all that is left is Naomi and then the two daughters-in-law. So there's Ruth and then there's Orpah, or as I like to say, Oprah. So 
Orpah, Ruth and Naomi, they start going back to follow and be in Bethlehem. And on the way, Orpah says, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've got to stay in Moab. This is where my family are. This is where I worship the gods. And Naomi turns to Ruth and says, well, listen, if she's going to go back, you might as well go back. Like you've got a better chance of finding another man and having another crack at having a family again. So, so just leave me. I'll walk on my own. I'll do the journey on my own. You go back and, and stay in Moab. And Ruth just says, no. And one of the beautiful things about Ruth is she takes what is this covenant code, this covenant creed that God has said in every single time he makes a new covenant with his people, he says these words, I will be your God and you will be my people. And Ruth takes that and goes to Naomi, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And Ruth, by faith, does the thing that is hard. And says, no, 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 I'm going to follow Jesus through this difficult thing. And the right thing to do is to stick with you. So she goes back to Bethlehem and then she now has to work in the fields and trust God to provide so that she can provide food for Naomi and herself. It's an incredible story of this woman of faith. So sometimes faith is determining to follow God like Ruth and make caring for God's community your priority. And saying, no, no, here's the thing I'm going to do. I'm going to love and serve you. There's Noah. Noah, in a hostile environment, nobody is believing in Yahweh. Dry land, haven't had, haven't had rain in years. And then this old man says, oh, God's going to bring some rain. Is he now? That's interesting. And then over here, he starts building this ark. And every day, everybody's mocking him every day. Oh, Noah, hey, good, good boat, good boat, good boat. Noah is surrounded by everything that is against God. And yet he says, no, no, God said, I do. And God comes through and saves him and his family. Sometimes faith is being obedient to God's word, even when those around you don't understand it and will mock it. And I don't know if you're aware, but we're hitting those times, church. We're being a Christian. It's not the same as it was 20 years ago. Just, we're not in Kansas anymore. If you get my, get my drift. Some of you understand that reference. Some of you kids, go watch some cool movies. <laughs> Queen Esther. Queen Esther wins the first ever ancient bachelor competition. Something that she didn't put her hand up to be a part of. Wins this thing while not wanting to win it. And now becomes Xerxes' bride. And she doesn't want to be married to this pagan guy. She doesn't want to be married to this king. She doesn't want to have anything to do with the people. She wants to be with her Jewish people. And she's having this wrestle with like, God, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why have you put me here? And then she hears of some things that are going on, that it's this ethnic cleansing moment where one of the guys who's the right hand to Xerxes is going to eradicate the Jewish people. She speaks to her uncle Mordecai and she's like, I don't know what to do. What do I do? And Mordecai says, hey, what if God puts you in this position of power and privilege and prestige for such a time as this? And what if you were to risk that place in order to stand up for the weak and the marginalized and the poor and the needy? And so this is what Queen Esther does. She goes into the king's courts knowing that if he points his scepter to her, she is dead. It's a good marriage, that one. It's normally the other way around in my house. If I see the finger come out, I'm dead. And for her, faith is taking what God has placed in her hands. The position in which he has given her within this society to actually stand up for the marginalized 
And she does, and God saves his people. Rachel. Rachel is this woman who waits earnestly for a man. And she gets cheated and lied to by her father and by her sister. And so she waits seven years. And then switcheroo happens. Some of you know all the story, some of you don't. But basically, her, her father, Laban, switches the sisters over. There's twin sisters. And all of a sudden, now his sister's married to the man that she'd been dreamed of. She'd lied. She cheated. The whole thing happened. He has to work another seven years for Laban. Sometimes faith is trusting in God's timing and in God's ways, whether that's for relationships, whether that's for children. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? In the book of Daniel... Here they are, taken out of their, their city as Jewish people, pulled over. <laughs> and they're over here and they're sitting here and they've got to worship this guy, Nebuchadnezzar. And they're like, we, don't, we can't worship this guy. And they're told, if you don't worship this guy, you're going to be put into a furnace. And so they literally say these words. They say, we will not bow down and our God will rescue us. And then they add, and even if he does not, we will not worship. Their faith is to get ridiculed. They have integrity and are unwilling to compromise at any cost to themselves personally. And one of my most favorite people in all of the Bible, and I'll finish with her, is Lydia. In the book of Acts chapter 16, you'll see her. She's hardly even mentioned. We don't know a lot about her. She is not a Christian woman. She's a God-fearer. She meets Paul, becomes a Christian. Her and her whole family get baptized. At this point, there are not enough Christians in this city to actually have a church so they can't do it and so this lady she sells purple goods she's super wealthy she has a home she goes well I'll fund it all and so she starts to pay for Paul's missionary journeys and she says well we don't need a synagogue use my house and she literally opens up her home lets people sit at the table and eat food and come to Christ and then you see Years later, out of all the books that Paul writes, he seems to have this special place for the church at Philippi who are filled with joy. And it all came because one person was saying, I'll open my doors. I'll let people come in. I've got a home. I've got a table. I've got some chairs and I can put some food on. And from there, a church is birthed. And a church is birthed. And that church plants churches that plant churches. And here is this simple woman who just, her simple faith is, I, I can't preach, I can't teach, I can't sing and play piano. But you know what I can do? I can open up my doors. Faith looks different for all people at all times. Question, in what way do you need to today take up your shield of faith and fight against the enemy as a church family? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.